Hey, Janet. Hey, Kent. How do you get over a fear of elevators? How? You just gotta take a few steps. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Manny vs. Mommy. That's Janet Barton. That's Kent Hexum. I mean, that's Janet Barton! Woo! <laughs> the crowd goes wild. That's as much enthusiasm as I can give you on a Sunday morning. <laughs> so, uh, what are you brought to us by this week before we begin? <sighs> My cold. I blame the guy at work and Genevieve. Both of them. Because it's an incubation period of about a week. It's probably Genevieve's fault more. Yeah. And I was diffusing on guard at work. Not as much at home as I should have been. Did I tell you the cool story I heard about on guard the other day? Yes, but tell it again. Yes. I don't think I told it on the podcast. Uh-uh. So I heard about a woman who was a teacher. And I want to say like junior high or something. Because she was next to the science classroom. And he always grew things in the Petri dish over Mm -hmm. the year for his students to learn about and, you know, study and and just watch, which is cool to watch things grow in a Petri dish. I mean, it's gross, but it's super cool. You know, you can watch mold, you can watch bacteria, you can watch all kinds of stuff grow in there. Right? Gross when you think about it. Couldn't the middle school kids just like go in their room and check under their bed and see the same stuff? (laughs) Probably. Probably very accurate. And on a side note, when I was in microbiology in college, we went into, um, my group decided to study the bathroom and the dirtiest part, dirtier, more germs, more variety of germs and more quantity of germs than the toilet water. Guess what? The handle. The door handle. The door handle. Worse than. Worse than the toilet water. Worse than the toilet. seat? Yep. Yep. Worse than everything in the bathroom. I mean, we did the handle on the faucet. We all of it. Yeah. The floor, you know, and it was it was the door handle. Anyway, back to the science classroom. So this woman um, used DoTerra oils and had been diffusing on guard, especially through the sick season. Yeah. Um, you know, probably since school started, because those kids are their own little petri dishes, right? Like they just carry everything. Mm. So she had been diffusing on guard and the science teacher could not get anything to grow, couldn't figure it out. Finally was like, you have to stop diffusing that stuff. I can't make anything grow in the classroom next Next. door. Insane. So I did it. I probably wasn't consistent enough and my immune system hasn't been top notch recently. So unfortunately I ended up with a cold, a lot of nasal congestion and post-nasal drip and coughing and a little bit of a sore throat, but chest congestion and stuff like that. So I've been using a lot of essential oil products to help. One of the things I've loved is that breathe stick. They've got like a Vicks vapor rub kind Uh of thing that has the breathe oil. Minus the petroleum jelly. Yeah. Minus all the gunk. (laughs) And that's been really nice. I really like that. Using it at night. I've been diffusing that oil at night and it helps with my coughing and stuff like that. So it's only been a few days, so hopefully I'll get over it, you know, sooner than the 10 to 14 days it usually lasts. Ugh. So that's my unhappy brought to you by. Oh, and can I also add the backpack stealing? Yeah. I've never had anything like this happen to me, but I went to a show in Salt Lake, which um, Sackerson.org, if you want to check out their shows, um, Sonder in SLC, S-O-N-D-E-R, I think is their, you know, stuff on the socials. 
Um, really good show called Thank You Theobromine, which is a chemical in chocolate. Um, oh. Very thought provoking, um, mind altering. <laughs> which is so funny because I asked how it was and you're like, oh, you would have hated it. Yep. <laughs> and you started talking about it. I was like, yeah, I would have hated yep. that. <laughs> yep. I'm glad you didn't go with me. But my friend Liz and I went. She ended up, um, because it had been snowing quite a bit that day, more so than the Wednesday and Thursday we were expecting. This was Friday uh, of last week. And because there was so much snow, her boyfriend's like, well, why don't you drive my car? So we come out of the show at like, I don't know, 10, 15 or so. Mm-hmm. And I look down on the ground and I see, oh my goodness, we backed in over some glass. How did I not notice this? You know, on the way in. And so I'm kicking it out from under the tire so that she doesn't drive over it with the back tire, you know? Yeah. And then I realize, oh, it's the passenger window. It's this car's window that was broken. And my backpack is gone. (coughs) Excuse me if I cough during the episode. I've already been talking a lot. We recorded the other episode (laughs) already and I'll do my best. Um, But yeah, my lot of my life was in there. Luckily, I carry my um, debit card and my ID with me on my phone. Yeah. So I didn't lose that. A lot of times I have my AirPods in my pocket. um, But because I was out with someone, I didn't anticipate using them or getting a call. And so I had put them in my backpack. So those, that's really hard. It's been really, it's been really hard listening to the radio. I'll be honest. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm a, a big, um, I'm highly averse to commercials. So the second a commercial comes on or I can tell it's coming, instantly change the channel. Um, but yeah, I, there was a lot of stuff in there, both of my pairs of sunglasses and a lot of sentimental things that can't be replaced. I probably had 350 or $400 worth of essential oils that I carry with me. Um, you know, and I had challenge coins from when Greg died. The Patriot Guard riders gave me a challenge coin, yeah. um, which are like, I don't know how to describe it. They're a little bit bigger than a silver dollar and thicker. Um, and then there was one that said, I am my brother's keeper, which is something that every soldier typically is buried with in their shirt pocket. And so he had one and I was given the other one and that's gone. Um, you know, in journals, I, you know, I had a couple of private journals and that's there. a hard one because that's more of a personalized exactly and and it's junk to them yeah. you know after they got what little cash would have been in my wallet um you know probably twenty dollars or less they used one of my credit cards that i had in there the other one was locked um, but the one that wasn't locked it was like 17 dollars and 29 cents at 7-eleven you know they tried to use it at lowe's for like 235 dollars but it was locked yeah. um so they basically got nothing and they will have just thrown my backpack away with all of that stuff in it that mattered to me and only to me, yeah. you know? So it's a bummer. It's very violating. And my my entire set of keys were in there because, of course, I wasn't driving. So I didn't have a need for my keys, but I needed them when I got home. And so I had them with me. And so I had to go replace my key fob. And Did you have anything with your home address in there? I don't believe so. Carl was worried about that, too, because they had my car keys. Yeah. And if they had my address, they may have. You know, there may have been a card or something in my wallet, but they don't seem like the smartest criminals. <laughs> you know, not. it was just a smash and grab. And the crazy thing was we were parked in a very small parking lot on the north side of uh, northwest side of roughly 800 south and third west. Very well lit parking lot. And we were the closest spot to the street. Wow. 
Yeah. I mean, the passenger side was facing away from the street, but it was just a quick smash and grab. They, they left my hydro flask, which I did appreciate. <laughs> the cop was like, which ended up being our neighbor. Yeah. My, my former neighbor was the one unified police officer that was on duty yesterday that ended up helping me with the case. He called me and he said, I actually know you. Did my number pop up on caller ID? I said, no, showed up, you know, no caller ID as it does when a cop calls you. And he said, well, I know who you are because when I punched in your number, when I dialed you, it said, Janet, Chuck's mom. And I was like, (laughs) oh, great. We've had run-ins with the police before. I was like, of course, you know who I am. This is so embarrassing. And he goes, yeah, this is so-and-so from, I'm your former neighbor. I love Chuck. How's he doing? And because Chuck used to hang out with him a lot. He's just this... You know, married guy, no kids. Yes, his dearest (laughs) friend. He did say that at one point. My dearest friend. So that was kind of a funny connection. But yeah, he, you know, I'm sure there's nothing they could do. You know, it's not like they're going to canvas the area and try and find it. If I was super committed, I'd go dumpster diving all around in that area because it was only a few blocks. The Lowe's was probably five blocks south, also Mm -hmm. on 3rd West, and they would have hit a 7-Eleven right nearby. You know, I could go drive around. But now we're getting to the point where... Garbage will have been picked up and I don't know is what it is, but it's never happened to me before. I felt very violated. Yeah, I bet. And it's just such a bummer because they don't care about any of that stuff. They basically got whatever cash I had. I'd say no more than $30, 40 at the most and $17 of stuff from 7-Eleven. That's what they got. Maybe they just really needed the oils. I hope so. (laughs) Honestly, (laughs) I really, yes, I really hope those went to a good home. I hope they knew what they were and and we'll use them because it was a really, yeah, it was a, it was a good size set of oils. Yeah. A lot of them that I use regularly and carry with me, obviously. (sighs) That's my week. Yes. It's been, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a, a rough little while, but. This too shall pass, right? Yeah, my life's been great. Shut your mouth when you're talking to me. <laughs> Shut your mouth. Just kidding. What's your What's your brought to you by? Hopefully, a little more chipper and upbeat. Uh, so I lately I've not wanted coffee at all, and I love coffee. I used to drink multiple cups a day, so I love specifically coffee. cold brew. Yeah, cold brew. I just love the taste. Always have, um, but I haven't wanted it lately, and I can't do hot chocolate. I'll have it's made. too sweet. It's too heavy. Like maybe once. A season i'll have hot chocolate it's got to be a good flavor though yeah so i'm like i need a, a holiday warm drink just something to that i can do and coffee just makes my stomach turn for some reason lately so coffee makes me poop have you seen that mug yeah <laughs> <laughs> it does it keeps you regular that's maybe why tell them the truth tell them you're making poop that's <laughs> the heart and brain the yeah. awkward yeti Awkward giddy. I love that one. Uh, that's a good one. So I found one that works really well for me. I get light apple Pero. juice. No. <laughs> Gross. Back when my was living at home and my super religious Mormon family couldn't have coffee, mm-hmm. we always had Pero. Ugh. One or two or three canisters that we could put on our ice cream and get that coffee flavor. Anyway, anyway. So I try and do as little sugar added as possible. Apple juice. Because I think apple juice is just really sweet. Mm-hmm. And I like to warm it up and put a couple drops of doTERRA cinnamon oil. It's like a hot apple cider type. A little nutmeg. You know what? My sister always makes um, wassail. Mm -hmm. I bet she'll use some oils in it. 
Yeah. That'll be really good. I don't really like, because Wasselton typically has the orange in it, right? Yes. I don't like the orange mixed with it. But it's, I've really enjoyed It's a warm that. drink. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like a tea. Yeah. Nice. So that's what I'm brought to you by. I'm now drinking my, my warm apple cider. Nice. You're so old. I know. <laughs> uh, yesterday, last night, Saturday, it was like seven o'clock and I was like, I really just want to go get in bed and go to sleep. <laughs> it's cold. Like that. The sun's been down for two hours now. I just mm-hmm. want to go lay down and go to sleep. Yeah. I, sometimes six, seven o'clock hits. I'm like, I'm just ready for my bath and bed. I'm just, <laughs> you know, I'm good. Done for the day. So of course I stayed up until like midnight, you know. Of course. <laughs> Why wouldn't you? All right. So what should we talk about this week? So this week, you know, as we're dealing with the holidays, we just got done with um, Thanksgiving last week, and now we're gearing up for time with the family for Christmas. And some family, let's admit, is not the best for us, you know, and I have a lot of people on my Facebook that are posting things saying, if it's a toxic relationship, you have no obligation. You have no obligation to spend time with people who are toxic for you and, you know, put you in a place that... You can't keep yourself safe from, if that makes sense. Um, So one of the things that I came across on Facebook, it was posted by um, Crunchy Mama. (laughs) Shocker that I follow something like that, right? (laughs) Um, So this was on Tuesday before Thanksgiving. Um, Very appropriate, I thought. And this is from Sarah Kubrick um, at Millennial.Therapist. So that's the, the... credit where it's due. Is she a millennial therapist or is she a therapist for millennials? Yes. Answer that question. I'm all about the power of and. (laughs) Yeah, if you know Sarah Kubrick comma CCC whatever that is, closed captioning for children um, (laughs) at millennial.therapist let us know if she is in fact a millennial who's a therapist or a therapist for millennials. Maybe both. I totally thought cold cut combo. Cold cut combo, yeah. Sarah Kubrick, a cold cut combo, (laughs) who happens to also be a therapist who's a cold cut combo. Um, Okay, so it's just some bullet points and, um, you know, just some family boundaries can sound like, I appreciate your concern, but this is my decision. And I kind of, if you have any thoughts, throw them out, because I kind of want to talk about these a little bit, if there's anything that comes up. I think that one all depends on tone of voice. I appreciate your concern, but this is my decision. Or, I appreciate your concern, but I think this is my decision. Yeah, I mean, it's always going to be tone of voice, right? Yeah. Because you can say the exact same words, and it sounds so different. It's about intention. And I think, well, for me, it's always what tone of voice am I using inside my head as well? Mm -hmm. Am I defensive and disregarding you, or am I going to really like, okay, I can see your point. Well, and let's be honest, the nonverbal cues are the majority of communication. It's not the words you say. Yeah. It's how you say them and the look on your face and your body language and, you know, the tone of voice and all of that kind of stuff. I'm so excited for family parties. Of, what are you doing this year? You know, what's going on in your life? Nothing. Still single. No yeah. kids. Yeah. One of them that I'll <laughs> jump to. Please stop asking when we will have a kid. It's putting a lot of pressure on my relationship. Like, just respect that, you know? Yeah. It's fine to be curious about someone's life, but ask open-ended questions rather than 
you know, are you seeing anyone or, you know, just assuming. But yeah, be excited for where people are at in their lives. Um, one of the other ones that she says is, I respect your values and beliefs, but I do not share them. I think that's a good one because there's a, a lot of people in my circle of friends who are not the same religion as their family mm-hmm. anymore. And so that can be a really valid statement. I respect your values and beliefs, but I don't share them. I think that goes politically as well. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> that, that's what I thought was political, actually. Yeah. Not, like religious. But yeah, it can work for... Yeah, any any kind of beliefs that it's like, you know, I respect where you're coming from, but I don't have to agree. You know, it's interesting. So I was talking with my mom yesterday about some of my cousins and my mom has always been super strict and super religious and super firm with her beliefs. Like you'll know what she believes. But my cousins who aren't the same religion, don't believe the same thing, still have a good relationship with my mom. Because there is that respect there. And there's no reason not to. Just because, I mean, if you respect my beliefs and I respect yours, there's no problem yeah. in my mind. You know, it's like if you don't respect that I don't believe the same as you and you think that I'm wrong because I don't believe the same of you. Yeah, that's that's going to affect our relationship. But I can respect that you believe things that I may in fact used to believe myself, but I don't anymore. Mm-hmm. And I need people to respect that. So I think that's a big one, especially around family. A lot of it is, are you choosing to be right? Or are you choosing to have a relationship? Right. You can be right or you can be happy, but generally not both. <laughs> Sometimes. I mean, I'm always right. Um, the next one. never happy. <laughs> <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Sorry, we have a winner. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will no longer be the middle person in family arguments. Mm, that's that's one I, one. yeah, that's a good one. Um, because it, it's really easy to get sucked into that drama. And just put, you know, putting that boundary in place of this doesn't have anything to do with me, which I constantly try to do in all my relationships because I tend to be the middleman. So a couple of years ago, um, we had, so I was raised that if you're not five minutes early, you're 20 minutes late. Like right. you just have to be early. Five minutes early is I beat on you time. here today. Can we just put that on record? It I is the second time before, ever. It was still before the time I said It was, here. but I beat you <laughs> here. You did beat me. I did beat you here, which so never happens. I... You know, that's one thing from my childhood that I can't get over. I I can't be late. It drives me crazy. I get so anxious. And the last few years, different family members have suddenly started being late. So we'll have to tell them the party is a half an hour or an hour before it actually is because we want them to show up pretty much on time. Right. And so a couple of years ago, Christmas Eve, we're doing our siblings and families, you know, my immediately my immediate family party. And... I had just gotten a Traeger grill. So mm. I was smoking. I'm pretty sure it was a ham. It might have been a turkey. But I'm pretty sure it was a ham. And we were supposed to eat it this time. This time came. Half the people were there. And like, I've been spending hours cooking this. I'm hungry. I want to eat. So I got really hangry. <laughs> and then, I'll just flat out say, my mom was like half an hour late. Ugh. And I lost it when she walked in, like it was no big deal. And I'm like, we should have sat down a half an hour ago. Like, come on. And she has had, you know, past experience. And because she raised me this way, I think it was even more personal. Yeah. You know, like this is. Like you're the one that started this this way. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. You did this to me. So I actually, I lost it. Like arguing and siblings were taking sides and the grandkids were all just sitting there like watching 
<laughs> and, you know, the peacemakers were trying to make peace. And a lot of it in my family was you hash out a situation or something until it's done. And then when it's done, it's done. So we're all in each other's faces and sure. saying our thoughts and whatnot. And my, my little niece, she was probably six of the time, goes, Santa's not going to come. Krampus is now going to come. <laughs> we just watched the Krampus movie. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. <laughs> and then we all stopped and kind of laughed and we're like, okay, like, let's move Thanks on. for the let's perspective. Yeah. <laughs> Let it go. It was so funny. Kramp- Santa's not going to come. Krampus is now going to come. <laughs> and she was sincere and genuine. Yeah, like, like genuinely upset about it. Yeah. Poor kid. <sighs> okay, so some of the other um, boundaries, family boundaries that can sound like commenting on my weight is not appropriate. You need to stop. That's just a firm like, that's not okay. You know, I don't like as well when someone's like, oh, you look good. You've lost weight. It's the same thing. It's the same. Like, I actually yeah. find that more offensive. Commenting on someone's weight is just never okay. Yeah. And and I find it happens typically more for women than men, but I'm sure you've run into it because you're a bigger guy. And mm-hmm. so as your weight fluctuates, I'm sure you get comments on it. Like all of it is just not okay. It's just, you know, yeah. if you're genuinely concerned about someone or you or, have that kind of relationship. That's more of a one-on-one private conversation. Exactly. If you're genuinely concerned. Yeah. So what would be an appropriate... Cause you know, if you do work hard, when I did lose a lot of weight and I was looking good, I wanted that to be acknowledged. But what would be an appropriate way, would you say? Um, you look really happy. That's exactly what I'm saying. Are you looking yeah. happy? What have you been doing? Yeah. Because then it gives what's them different? like... Yeah. What's, what's going well for you? I love that question. Yeah. What's going great in your life? You know, that's a great question to bring to family because it, it tends to be a lot of negativity and a lot of drama and you know, just falling into old patterns with family. And so it's really, I think, a good go-to to to go, what's going great in your life? So can I side note? what's going on. Well, I'm going to anyway. So Do what you want. As I've been recording with my dad, I always ask him, what's the one thing you want? What's the one message you want to pass on to your grandkids and Mm -hmm. children? And every time, it's never changed in all the different videos I've done. It's, don't worry about the small stuff. Accept the person for who they are and just love the person. Yeah. And he says, you know, he's lost years with his siblings over petty little things that at the time seemed really important to him and really mattered, but it doesn't matter a year or two later. But because those feelings are there and they only got together really for holidays or special events, they just carried those feelings to those special events. And see, I'm completely defensive right now about my own family and my situation that I'm like, no, I'm totally justified. This is not petty. It's a big deal. Well, yeah. And you can feel those things. But I think in the long run, he was like, you know, staring. At, now that he's staring at death's door, it's, I wasted so many years. Instead of actually communicating and having it out and fixing and solving and moving past it, we just didn't talk about it and carried those feelings to every event. Yeah. Well, and I've seen this person one time in the last two years. Yeah. And I... I don't know that I will ever be at a place where I want to work through it. And that's okay. That's okay for me. I don't want to force it. You know, I don't want to get to a place where I feel obligated to be the bigger person and to, you know, because yes, I quote unquote should. I could. I choose not to. Yeah. You know, that's just where I'm at with it. And maybe that changes. I'm open to that changing. So right now I don't want that relationship. It's not not healthy for me. My dad's family are all extremely liberal 
and we're extremely conservative. My family is the black sheep on my dad's side, by far. Yeah. And it led to arguments, and I even dreaded spending time with one uncle who's very vocal because I don't want to hear it. And that was when I was in my really political, like, reading everything I could about politics and really focusing in on that. And this year, I don't know if it's just because time's changed or we've come to an agreement, but there was not any political talk at all. Nice. And we had conversations like going around the room, what's the most strange thing you've ever eaten? Yeah. And it gave everybody a, a chance to say, oh, I had this. And Tell I me about this. your hometown murder. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what's your <laughs> What's your favorite true crime? Yes. Tell me your favorite, your favorite true crime killer? story. <laughs> Yeah, what, what was, true crime affected you? It Those, made, they always have good stories. It made that event so much more fun and exciting. And I think a lot relaxed. of it... Because it was relaxed. Because it was relaxed and it was chill and I didn't have to feel defensive or, you know, your team's winning and mine's not, so let's be upset. And it really brought together over the last probably year, year and a half as my dad's had health problems and other family issues have come up in our own individual families that we are family and that uncle and that aunt, the one that I used to dread talking to because his team was winning. They were the first ones there when my dad was having issues. Aww. They were, you know, always there calling, texting me, you know, what's going on? How are you doing? And those things just fell aside and they didn't matter. I love that. So I love that. So other family boundaries, um, any rude comments about my lifestyle will result in this conversation ending. And there's a way to say that without being a dick. You don't have to be. It can just be that firm boundary of, I don't appreciate that. It's not necessary. And I will end the conversation. Yeah. That's it. Um, another one, I understand you were frustrated, but I don't want to participate in family gossip. Love that one. Love that one. Because it's too easy to get sucked into the drama about who's not there. Why would you not want to get into that drama? <laughs> That's why I go to these family events. Yeah, I try to avoid it. I really do. And you know what? My biggest thing is when, when I hear people talking at work about somebody who used to work there or isn't there that day or whatever, I always say, man, what do you guys say about me when I'm not around? You say that to them? I do. To see, like, call I do. I legit, I legitimately call people out on it. <laughs> and I say, what do you say about me when I'm not around? Kind of jokingly, but I think it calls attention but to really, the fact like... that, like, yeah, if you're talking about them like that, you talk about me like that. And I, that, I don't appreciate that. And I typically will say, you know, I, I don't want to talk about them. They're not here to defend themselves. Yeah. You know, and it's as simple as that. Because if I don't make it to a family event, I don't want people talking crap about me when I'm not there. I know it happens, but I don't appreciate it. And so I don't want to engage in it. And it's taken me a long time to get to that place because I used to love the gossip always wanted to be involved in what's going on with who. And I, that's how I grew up. Yeah. My mom is very much that way. And so for me to come so far the other way to the point where I've removed myself from situations, I used to be a part of a girl's night in St. George and we would talk until sometimes two, three in the morning, you know, we were stay at home moms. This was our night away. You know, husbands have the kids and mm -hmm. some of the husbands quote unquote babysat for them. Which makes me really sad. Yeah. I'm like, it's not babysitting when it's your own kid. <laughs> um, but I had to remove myself from those situations too because it got toxic. It got to yeah. be husband bashing. 
So if I could quote <coughs> my favorite act, my favorite actress of all time, Allison Janney, I don't gossip. I spread the news. <laughs> Love that. Okay, so a couple more. Um, oh, really? The last one she says is, "I expect my partner to be treated with respect, or we won't come over anymore." So solid. And I think that could apply to child. You know, if you yes. have a difficult child. Or, or a child that's different in any way, yeah. which, you know, I have nine kids. Of course, I have one or two that are different. Um, and yeah, it can be... We should gossip about who's different. <laughs> <laughs> Later. <laughs> Not when we're recording. Okay. Um, but yeah, that, that easily could be a boundary set in place. You know, I expect my child to be treated with respect or we won't come over anymore. Mm-hmm. Because it's unacceptable. I'm not going to put my child or my partner in a situation where that mutual level of respect isn't there. So transitioning a little, um, I found an article on Psych Central that I kind of want to tie in because, you know, setting boundaries is a difficult thing. Um, You know, it takes a lot of practice. And I'm going to give another shout out to the adult chair, Michelle Chalfant, because I was listening recently um, to an episode on boundaries where she has a one-on-one with a client and records it. And I love it. Because she talks about just doing bullet points. Those are my favorite. Just making episodes. it really simple. I know. I love those. And if you haven't listened to Where Do We Begin, that's another really good one that's mm-hmm. all recorded sessions, which I, I love those because it can be so insightful. Um, but she has done several episodes, Michelle has, on boundaries and setting boundaries. And the most recent one from a few weeks ago, I actually recommended to you as you were preparing to set boundaries with someone in your life. Still haven't listened to it. Oh, procrastinator. It's Um, because I'm not ready to conquer this aspect of my life yet. And you don't have to. You can just listen to it and get the ideas. You don't have to apply it. I'll feel like I have to or I'll feel guilty if I don't. You could. I should. Didn't we talk about the difference between should and could? Okay, so. um, Don't Michelle shall font me. (laughs) Are we going to start using her as a verb? Don't Michelle me. <laughs> Don't Michelle me. Um, so from Psych Central, Happily Imperfect is the blog with Sharon Martin, LCSW. She had um, put together a compilation of the 10 top posts about um, codependency. Hmm. And if you don't know much about codependency, um, lucky, lucky you. I have an article about it. Can I share a little bit real fast about it? Yes. Also from Psych Central. It's called Symptoms of Codependency by Darlene Lancer, JD, for, I don't know, MFT. I was going to come up with some acronym, but the one I came up with wasn't appropriate, so we're going to move right on. JD, I was thinking of um, criminal justice, but anyway. So she she defines it as characterized by a person belonging to a dysfunctional one-sided relationship where one person relies on the other for meeting nearly all of their emotional and self-esteem needs. It also describes a relationship that enables another person to maintain their irresponsible, addictive, or underachieving behavior. So there's a couple of little symptoms. The following is a list of symptoms of codependency and being in codependent relationships. You don't need to have them all to qualify as a codependent. And those symptoms are low self-esteem, feeling like you're not good enough or comparing yourself to others. People-pleasing. It's fine to want to please someone you care about, but codependents usually don't think that they have a choice. So it's right. like obligated people-pleasing. Poor boundaries. Yep. Should versus could. Poor boundaries. Boundaries are sort of an imaginary line between you and others. It divides up what's yours and somebody else's. So now you're uh, 
and it applies not only to your body, money, and belongings, but also your feelings, thoughts, and needs. That's especially where codependents get in trouble. They have blurry or weak boundaries. Especially emotionally. They feel responsible for other people's feelings and problems or blame their own on somebody else. And I found something when I just Googled codependency. It's from Wikipedia, but I thought it was so... I don't know. It was a good summary. It's a behavioral condition in a relationship where one person enables another person's addiction, poor mental health, immaturity, irresponsibility, or underachievement. And among those key uh, characteristics is an excessive reliance on other people for approval Mm -hmm. and a sense of identity. On a side note, the perfect relationship for, well, the most functional and the one that works the best for someone who has borderline personality disorder is someone who is pathologically codependent. They actually work quite well together. Those relationships last the longest for a borderline. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. Right? They're just completely enabling, and that's exactly what the borderline wants, because narcissism and borderline typically ride in the same car. Yeah. So. So a couple more symptoms real fast. Reactivity, caretaking, control. Control helps codependents feel safe and secure. Uh, that's huge with Raise addiction, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Uh, dysfunctional communication, obsessions, dependency, which kind of is obvious, denial, mm-hmm. problems with intimacy, and painful emotions. Interesting. Those are all. Yeah, I'm a recovering codependent. I've worked really, really hard to get to where I am because I was married to someone with borderline personality disorder. I'm discovering, well, I discovered years ago, once I realized that's what Greg had, that my dad also had it. And so my mom was like the perfect example of Mm -hmm. a codependent. You know, she chose someone that had borderline. So, of course, that's what I did. And, you know, I've worked really hard through um, my codependency issues. And leading up to Greg's suicide, I had set some very firm boundaries and worked really hard on... um, those issues and so luckily it got me to a place where I didn't blame myself so much for his death because he easily could have yeah with the boundaries that I had put in place specifically the night he died well the night he put himself in the hospital you know it was Mm -hmm. a few days later but that was a very firm boundary that I put in place and it resulted in his death unfortunately but I still don't feel a, a huge weight of responsibility for that because I've worked so hard on that codependency I just wish maybe I could have like a codependent moment just so I can kind of get in your shoes, get your perspective. My perspective on? Oh, that was a joke because I'm very codependent. I was like, okay, you want to get in my brain? I don't think that's a real safe place for you, buddy. I was for you to call me out on being codependent. You don't have the defense mechanisms I've built up. I just don't understand where you're coming from. (laughs) Denial. (laughs) Um, okay, so back to this um, Happily Imperfect with Sharon Martin. Um, one of the things that I think really ties into codependency is attachment style mm-hmm. and why that matters. Um, she mentions that if you're in an unhappy relationship, if you feel stuck in a pattern of you know, failed relationships or you can't find Mr. or Mrs. Right, a lot of times your attachment style could be the reason for that. Because we really learn about our all human relationships from our very first ones the ones with our parents or primary caregivers, right? Yeah. So understanding that attachment style that we're, you know, that's rooted um, in the beginnings of how we learn about relationships can really solve a lot of our relationship problems. 
And ideally, of course, parents provide security and safety for kids, um, you know, to trust that their needs are going to be met. That's why I'm not a fan of crying it out. You're teaching a child from very early on, I'm not going to be there for you. You have to do it on your own. Well, this is a baby. Babies cry because that's the only way they know how to communicate, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And they need to know that their needs are going to be met. Their first year of life, if you look at any um, child development information, is about trust. They're learning to trust the world around them. So if you're not meeting their physical or emotional needs, they're learning the world is not a safe place. And that's going to affect their attachment style for sure. Isn't it better they learn that at a young age? (laughs) (laughs) This is why you shan't have children. Oh, wait, you're raising mine. Um, So, you know, parents are supposed to provide the comfort, help calm them when they're upset or afraid. And I'm a big fan of peaceful parenting, you know, in that realm, just validating feelings and comforting. And typically that resolves it just like that. They just want to feel heard and validated and know that their emotions are okay and typically the tantrum blows over just like that. Yeah. Isn't that been your experience? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so as a result of providing, you know, that comfort and, you know, calming uh, energy, they form a bond, you know, and that builds a secure emotional foundation so they can feel confident exploring the world, knowing that they always have that safety net, right? Yeah. Well, a lot of people don't do that. Um, obviously, they don't have that experience, but humans are meant to connect and depend on each other, or survival hinges on it, when you think about it. I mean, I love going back to, um, you know, caveman theory about things, whether I'm talking about birth or, you know, attachment, anything like that, you think from that perspective, if we don't rely on each other, we don't survive, Yeah. right? You know, that's like the base brain um, telling us that. So depending on others is healthy, even in adult relationships. We always need other people. Um, And we're more successful and happy when we can form trusting healthy attachments with other people. So there are three primary attachment styles, secure, avoidant, and anxious. Secure attachment is when you had your needs met as a child. Caregivers were attentive and responsive to your needs, helping you to feel safe and cared for. So it's a good solid foundation. So because of that, you feel comfortable being close and emotionally intimate. Mm -hmm. Um, You seek and maintain close, stable relationships And you feel comfortable expressing your feelings and needs, which I think would include setting boundaries, right? Yes. The avoidant attachment is because caregivers were probably distant, cold, or unresponsive. As a result, you became more independent and self-reliant, not wanting to depend on inconsistent people. Ding, 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 ding. (laughs) This is me. So in the attachment styles that I read about and have worked with, Avoidant actually has two categories. Yeah, I like that. Talk about that. So the avoidant dismissive, which would like downplay importance of relationships, usually extremely self-reliant, become can become more vulnerable when there's a big crisis. So they're just dismissive. Mm-hmm. I can just do it myself. I'll take care of myself. Whatever. And then you have avoidant fearful. More dependent in relationships than avoidant dismissive. Strongly fears rejection, has low self-esteem, and has high anxiety in relationships. Which is interesting because I feel like the... Avoidant dismissive um, is almost more towards the secure side and the avoidant fearful is more towards the, the anxious, anxious side. side. And that's how they have it set up too. Oh. You haven't seen this picture, I'm, but that's I'm, how they have it set up. I'm a freaking that. genius. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because the avoidant dismissive, you know, it's not a healthy pattern as, as the secure is, mm-hmm. but it's more that independent side versus the fearful, anxious side. Thanks for sharing that. 
Um, so in the avoidant, whether you're dismissive or fearful, I think these probably apply. Close relationships tend to feel smothering and like they're impeding your independence. You know, that would be more the dismissive for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you pull away from intimacy when it feels too intense. That would seem more fearful, more fearful to yeah. me, right? Um, you need a lot of time to yourself and you may resist commitment. So <laughs> ding, ding, <laughs> Why ding, are you ding. looking right at me when you say that? <laughs> Why do you feel like my eyes are burning through you? Yeah, this is definitely um, where a lot of my interpersonal relationships reside. You know, I try and, and we talked about this before we recorded. I feel like it ebbs and flows as anything in life. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's fluid. It's um, constantly changing. It's very dynamic. And I think it depends on the relationship and where you're at in the relationship. I mean, my relationship with Carl three years in is really different than it was, you know, in the first year. Yeah. And even a year ago, you know, it changes. Um, but she's talking again about what we are raised with and what those core beliefs are up until age five to six is where usually that's cemented. So that's the avoidant attachment, um, anxious attachment. And I'm, I know anxious attached people. I'm sure you'll hear this as well. And people that, you know, your caregivers were inconsistent in attending to your needs. As a result, you hold on tight in order to try to get your needs met. So instead of the avoidant of I'm fine, I'm just going to take care of it myself. Yeah. It's, no, I'm holding on desperately to get whatever needs met I can. You crave intimacy and can never get enough closeness. Your question whether your partner really loves you or whether you're lovable and seek frequent reassurance. An anxious attachment can be described as needy or clingy. And you desperately seek security and attention from your partner, but this can push him or her away, especially if that person's avoidant. Yeah. Right. Because you've got an avoidant attachment with an anxious attachment. The anxious or, you know, avoidant fearful Mm -hmm. is going to need that reassurance all the time. I need you to tell me you love me. I need this. I need this attention and this closeness and this intimacy. And the person who's avoidant, especially avoidant dismissive, is going to go, whoa, whoa, whoa. You are smothering me. This is not helpful. I'm just going to run away. I'm going to shut down emotionally, which is typically where I go. I shut down emotionally. I throw that wall up and we're not doing this. I can't let you in. You're not safe because you're going to be inconsistent, just like everything I experienced in my life. Right. And I've gotten to the point where I've tried to verbalize that of, hey, you're coming at me with this when two months ago it was this. You know, it's a completely different world And based on my past experience of being abandoned over and over again, why would I rely on you? Right? Emotionally, physically, um, monetarily, in any way. Why would I? Because it's always been me. I've had to take care of me. Yeah. You know, that's my core belief. Because from a very early age, I was probably not even six or seven before my mom was gone. Physically, emotionally, mentally. I mean, she was there physically, right? But was completely checked out. And so I was essentially raising myself from that point on. So why, why would I feel secure in relying on someone in an adult relationship when that's not what I learned growing up? Yeah. It's tough. It's a hard thing to work through. That's so hard because that is so ingrained. And I wonder if that's a lot of the foundation of our subconscious. Exactly. Because you're not, you know, <clears throat> sitting there thinking that all the time, but those things come up and that's what you're... It's there. And here's why it's important. So attachment theory originated with the work of John Bowlby. He studied mothers and infants 
And we now recognize that our attachment style obviously is still at play, especially in adult romantic relationships. But the parent-child attachment sets the stage for, you know, our ability to trust that our emotional needs are going to be met. So it really becomes a blueprint for the rest of our intimate relationships, whatever those look like. You know, it impacts our choice in our partners and how we relate to them because we replay these patterns over and over again as a new, you know, with new people um, as a way to find evidence for our belief about ourselves. Yeah. You know, it just replays over and over again. It's like we always say, you know, you choose a partner that's going to reopen those wounds so you can figure out as an adult how to work through it. So it can cause you to be stuck. Well, and that makes those self-fulfilled prophecies. <laughs> exactly. That's... It can go in a positive way, you know, in a healthy way or in an un- unhealthy way. For example, she shares many anxiously attached people um, date. Oh, my phone's trying to update. Um, date or marry avoidance. So anxiously attached people pick an avoidant who can never seem to give them enough closeness and reassurance. So that confirms the anxiously attached person's fear of abandonment and belief that he or she is flawed or unlovable. So like you said, that self-fulfilling prophecy. So understanding your attachment style is useful because not only does it give you you know, kind of a glimpse into your relationship with your parents and how you felt as a child. But it can also help you understand why you're having the difficulties you do in your adult relationships. So understanding it can help you move toward having more fulfilling relationships because if you can't name it, you can't change it, right? Like you have to identify it first. So I think as we've been talking, as I've been thinking about this, I think that we probably have like a main attachment style, right? Sure. And then I think we can go into the other ones with different relationships. Or at different times in the relationship. Yeah. 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 So I think that's because a lot of people, I mean, your sister Krista was talking about how they have a hard time with this. But I think if you approach it maybe in that mindset that we probably have our core one, but at different times we lean more on these or different strengths, weaknesses. For sure. And one of the things that um, she had talked about is I don't know how to apply it. Like Mm -hmm. I kind of understand it. But I don't know what it looks like to get to a healthy place. Mm-hmm. Um, so although those patterns are very well established and ingrained in us from the time we're a child, you can work towards a more secure attachment, which is the healthy place that you know we'd all like to be. Um, it takes a lot of practice, but these skills can help. So a few ways that she recommends changing your attachment style are, number one, notice your relationship patterns. Just start by becoming more aware of your anxious or avoidant behaviors. That's the very first step. You know, just seeing it, taking a step back and observing, that's my belief in play, right? Yeah. So just kind of being conscious of when I shut down emotionally because I don't feel safe. Being self-aware is hard. Uh, It is hard, but that's the first part. And pay attention to what you need and how you feel. So sitting in that space, which also so, so hard, because I'm an avoidant, dismissive, generally. Um, it's really easy for me to get to that space where I avoid it by consuming anything, food, electronics, being busy. I know that's a big one for you Mm -hmm. and not sitting in that space of what am I feeling? What do I need? So that's a big one too. share your feelings with your partner. Also hard, like communicating openly, but recognize cognitive distortions and challenge them thinking errors. I've also heard that called, um, and, and challenge them, you know, really try to understand, is this true? Is it something I want to hang on to? 
Um, communicate your relationship needs and expectations clearly to your partner, which I think is really tough. You have to know what those are to communicate them effectively. Well, they change <coughs> too. Like that's not something that is just set firm in stone. This is how it's always going to be. It changes. Sure. You know, different periods of your life, different seasons, just when you have little kids versus teenagers. Yeah. It, it changes a lot. And that's why I think that communication about, the needs and expectations are so important because let's say you're working a stressful job where, you know, you used to be a stay-at-home parent. Your needs and your relationship are completely different based on that. So the continual dialogue, I think, is important. Take good care of yourself. Self-care <laughs> always comes back to that, right? Because you don't have anything to offer. I'm certainly, I'm certainly not going to be in a secure attachment space if I'm not taking care of myself. You yeah. know, if I'm frazzled and overly tired or haven't been eating while not exercising. <laughs> I remember a time I did that once. I went to the gym. Now I call him James. <laughs> well, and if you have these, you know, deep-rooted beliefs and you're not doing anything to challenge them and change them with self-care, why would anything change? Yeah, exactly. You've got to put in the effort to give yourself the energy that you need, which I think is a big part of being an introvert or an extrovert at heart. Make sure your needs are getting met and you're recharging so that you do have that energy to put into the progression. (coughs) (coughs) Sorry. Good thing we're almost done. Um, Do things that make you feel good about yourself. Acknowledge your strengths and successes. Work with a therapist. (coughs) Because as she mentions, shifting your attachment style is hard work. And spend time with people who model healthy relationships. That's a big one. Because you are the result of the five people you spend the most time with so if you're around unhealthy relationships that's what you're gonna see oh so i'm destined to be a cannibal is what you're saying pretty much (laughs) i love spending time with genevieve and some of the crazy things she comes up with but i'm always like okay you know we don't actually do this right you know we don't actually eat people we had a really affirm we're not gonna actually stab somebody because they didn't give us what they want and cut off their ear and feed it to a reindeer right because that's what she's threatened. Even when she's what, two? Yeah, three? she's two. It's fine. <laughs> Constant worry for you. I remember when you first told me that she was giving you death threats. I was like, she what? <laughs> she's like threatening your job. Yeah. My mom's going to fire you if you don't let me go outside without a coat and shoes. At that, two. That's what it was. Yes. Yeah. She's was so, so damn sassy and smart. And I would always be like, oh, okay. I'll go get another job. Okay, that's fine. And then she would be like, oh. Dang it. So then the threats escalated. <laughs> yes. Then they were death threats. And one time we came home and she had gotten into some, I think it was nail polish or a red marker and painted this entire baby. I mean, the whole thing was covered almost head to foot red. And it was like, uh, and we come in and Barbie's head would be pulled off. I'm like, Kent, I think this is an omen. Your time is coming. <laughs> it's so funny because it's so opposite of really her personality it's probably the gemini yeah it's it's just the other side of it she just loves it and i think it might be feeding her need for attention or you know like we can she thinks that's funny now and we can do these things i don't think she's actually going to do anything i mean if she does it's on record if i ever go missing it's your fault (laughs) it's your own fault you fostered it Oh, that's a heavy subject, so I had to bring in some humor i know i appreciate that little uh lightheartedness at the end because it is heavy. 
who are the five people I spend the most time with? <laughs> That's an interesting concept, and it's really true. Do you, you include yourself in that? Because I spend <clears throat> a lot of time with just myself. No, five other people. Oh, okay. Because it really is an influence on you. Yeah. Um, you'll notice that your financial situation, your emotional state, all of that. So the people you choose to be around is very important. My mom used to say, if you lie down with the dogs, you're going to get fleas. I was like, well, we don't lay down with dogs. I don't, I don't understand your fishing metaphor. (laughs) (laughs) But no, it's so true. You know, you, you are a result of the people that you expose yourself to. And, and that's why I think it's important to be around people that have healthy relationships and are examples of a secure attachment. And nobody's perfect. Of course, you know, everybody's going to have their moments, but overall, if you can come from a place of communicating your needs and, you know, setting those boundaries, that's key, especially in overcoming that codependency. It's maybe even more important to see when those perfect couples or those healthy relationships go through hard times because then you can see, okay, it is normal. It is going to happen, but their desire to make it past it is what. And here's how they work through it. Yeah, And here's how they can do it. And that's. So if you're one of those cool people, share the love, (laughs) (laughs) you know, share with people around you how you've worked through it and, you know, what your experience has been and what's worked for you. And do it at the holiday party around the table. Like point out, say, I know your marriage is tough. This is how my husband and I have done it for these years. Yeah. It's like the fun, helpful gossip. (laughs) (laughs) We love you guys. Thanks for listening. Find us on all the socials, although we mostly are just on Facebook. Manny vs. Mommy. And uh, give us your feedback. You know, give us ideas on things that have worked for you on your attachment style. Or, you know, if this is news for you, if you have questions, anything like that. And go listen to the boundary episodes from the adult chair. I freaking love those. <sighs> Do we Homework. talk about Viva La Diva before we go? Viva La Diva, drag show, Salt Lake City. Yes. December 14th. There may still be tickets left. Yeah. The so. Christmas show. I think they're doing two full weekends too. Yeah. I think they're doing the following weekend, the 20th and 21st as well. And they usually will do one brunch show. So that may be the 22nd or I don't know which weekend, but. I just have maybe. a checklist of we have to talk about the adult chair every podcast. <laughs> we have to talk about Viva La Diva. We did. I think we already did talk about Viva La Diva. Cause adult, I was, did we? Yeah, we were. Oh no, maybe that was, oh, that was earlier this week. Yeah. I gotta tell we you. We were talking about unbusying. Side note. So. Something tragic happened with my hair. I'm now back to blue hair. That's not the tragic that's part. That's not the tragic part. It's a cover up of the tragic part. But of the blue of the big bird? Yeah, the Tweety Bird yellow. The Tweety Bird. That's oh, right. I cannot pull off Tweety Bird yellow. So I am walking into the to Walmart the other day with my bright blue hair and I look down and realize I'm wearing my blue, almost exact same color Viva La Diva yes. shirt with writing on it. And the Walmart worker there. You know, I don't like to talk to cashiers. Ever. Yeah, ever. So I was returning something, so I had to talk to them to get the sticker and whatnot. And he's like, oh, what does your shirt say? So I read the shirt, and I ta- start talking about the show, the drag show, and he goes, oh. And then turns and walks away. Have a great day. <laughs> Goodbye. Okay. So if I don't want to talk to you, and I don't come to Walmart, this is what this I'm wearing. This is what I'm wearing. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, passive aggressive for the win. <laughs> Love you guys. Love Bye. you guys.